Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. show hosted by me Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today by the athletic senior writer Chris Vanini. Chris hello welcome back. Nicole it's good to be back. We're fully in the swing of college football season now and we have some surprising teams sitting at undefeated and Georgia may be better than we ever dreamed feared, of. Feared uh, the things of nightmares possibly. It's it, it, a lot of what we thought in week one has already proven to be not true, and that's the fun. We'll get into this a little bit, but I, I love that the, the football powerhouses of Kansas and Duke and Syracuse are the, the teams that are dominating this young season so far. Uh, Power Hour is part of The Athletic, uh, the Andy Staples Show, and Friends Feed, which is fully back in action. As you mentioned, Chris, the full season is underway. We are fully in swing here, so you'll find Max Olson, Sam Kahn, more of our pals on this feed throughout the week. I'll be joining Andy and Ari for the Friday show. Uh, we, we always get somewhere in that conversation that I don't expect, and you know, soon we will make Ari take the SAT, which I am so, so excited for. Uh, But before we get into those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less, and we might make you thirsty while doing so, so feel free to grab a cold one. Uh, Chris, we're going to start the show as we always do with the Power Five in true Power Hour fashion. We give ourselves uh, about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on. I will start with number one, George Klyovkov spoke. He broke some silence he's had. He hasn't really talked on the record since Pac-12 media days. Obviously, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with media rights negotiations and just general fallout from USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. The Pac-12 commissioner opened up about the state of the Pac-12 on the Canzano and Wilner podcast. We will get into this further in the show. But basically, he made it sound like he feels really good about the 10 members that they have in the Pac-12, that he'd be able to get them to sign a grant of rights that they will stay tethered together and quote, if the big 10 had wanted more schools, they would have already added them to the big 10 or what, sorry, what was the, the direct quote? I actually should probably find the direct quote. They, they, if, if they, if they were going to go to the big 10, they would have already gone to the big 10. They would already go to the big 10. And that's a very interesting commentary about the big 10's willingness to continue to add further. Um, and also again, how he feels about, Oregon and Washington. He also talked again, as he has so often in the last couple of months, about kind of being attacked publicly by others trying to destabilize the conference. So he talked about media rights negotiations and and a lot more. We'll get into that later in the show. Yes, I have a lot of thoughts about this whole thing and other stuff going around in the Pac-12. We'll get into that in in later in the show. Uh, But he's trying to present strength as he needs to at this point. So only time will tell if that is accurate. Number two, Herm Edwards fired 
or technically not fired, mutually agreed to relinquish duties, whatever the heck that means. Uh, this is not a surprise at all. Arizona State lost to Eastern Michigan to fall to one and two on Saturday. There's been an NCAA investigation cloud hanging over this program for quite a while. Basically, half the staff had already turned over, and Herm was the only one left. The AD was standing behind him. The president was standing behind the AD. But eventually, it was too much. A lost Eastern Michigan. So now the Arizona State job is open. We are three full weeks into the season, and we've got two Power 5 head coaching jobs open. Now, they're not surprising ones. These are probably two of the three most likely we expected coming into the season. Well, again, we'll talk a little bit more about Arizona later, but uh, another coach. To me, this is another one where if it's gone so poorly that you're making a change in September, you probably made the wrong decision in the offseason. And this was something that, you know, there, there were so many different things that have popped up with the NCAA investigation and everything else over the offseason that, uh, you know, they, they could have made this decision sooner. They could have handled a lot of things differently. And I know one of the big questions that is coming out of this is whether or not Ray Anderson, the athletic director who brought Herm Edwards there and created and talked about this new model that they were going to use that was going to be so different and innovative from anything in college football. The question is going to be, is he going to be the person who gets to make the next hire? And I think that's a very fair question. Number three in the Power Five is Quinn Ewers practiced on Monday. The Austin American Statesman reported that Ewers, uh, who, by the way, was on the field during warm-ups on Saturday when they played UTSA, um, quote, will be back far sooner than people expect. Hudson Card and Malik Murphy also practiced, appears to be a full quarterback room again, or at least more positive news in the direction of a full quarterback, fully healthy quarterback room. Uh, big news, obviously, for Texas that, you know, got hit really hard and had to go down in the depth chart against UTSA, which obviously they eventually won. But, you know, things looked dicey there for a second. Yeah, they were tied at halftime with UTSA, I think at 17 points. And that was going to be my big question. Could Texas respond from the high of the Alabama game and get a win against what is a pretty talented UTSA team? And they did. So they, they, they passed it there. It wasn't pretty at times, but B. John Robinson had a huge game. And if you can get Quinn Ewers back, if, if we get the Quinn Ewers we saw in one quarter against Alabama, the guy who was decisive, knew where to put the ball, this maybe becomes a Texas team that can contend for the Big 12. Uh, but you know, we don't know exactly when Ewers will be back, but the sooner the better. Uh, obviously hope he gets back as soon as possible. Number four, speaking of the Big 12, Bedlam will officially go on hiatus when Oklahoma leaves for the SEC. The athletic directors at both schools confirm that to uh, the Action Network, although it's been kind of out there for a while. They both kind of said this was probably going to be what happens. And frankly, this sucks. This is another wonderful college football rivalry that is going away because of conference realignment. These two teams have been playing since before Oklahoma was a state. And I know Oklahoma overwhelmingly dominates this rivalry, but it doesn't take away the hatred involved in it. The win by Oklahoma State last year uh, was huge for them. Got them to the Big 12 championship game. Mike Gundy had pulled no punches at Big 12 Media Day talking about this as well. And yeah, look, like in a year when we finally got Pitt and West Virginia back for the first time since realignment at a time when Kansas is 3-0, 
good and they're not playing Missouri, uh, just another reason why conference realignment sucks. I had to look this up because, as you said, that this game has been played since before Oklahoma was a state. I assumed that Oklahoma State was not called Oklahoma State at that time, which is correct. Um, Originally known as Oklahoma Agricultural Mechanical College, but I just needed to check that. Oklahoma Oklahoma A&M. I just needed to to know that for myself because I was going to make a fun joke and (laughs) it would have been bad if I was totally wrong. Um, the, the, The writing had been on the wall with this. This was one where it was very tense and awkward after Oklahoma and Texas were going to the SEC because it was one of the places where, like, the state legislature, people in politics got very upset that one was going without the other. So this one, quite obviously, compared to some of these others, um, was going to have bad blood and was not going to be voluntarily scheduled. We've seen some of these games, you know, Oklahoma and Nebraska, for example, that if a series that's currently being played and was just played last weekend – it, it took time after realignment to get some of these series back on the books. Um, and I think Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma athletic director, was the one who kind of left that door open. Like, he's hoping that someday maybe they can play this game again. It'll be up to Oklahoma State, of course. Um, that's how that works. One, one last thing on that. The, the reasoning given by the schools is basically, hey, we only have nine, we only have three non-conference games, Big 12 does, SEC might if they go to non-conference games. And we already have a bunch of games scheduled in the future. We can't get out of those. We don't have room. When, honestly, schools break these contracts all the time. And if they really wanted to play each other, they could find the money to get out of these other game contracts. They don't want to do it. Oklahoma State doesn't want to give Oklahoma the the the, the reward for doing it, considering they were the ones to do it. Like you said, Castiglione wants to keep the door open. But that's how, that's how the bitterness destroys the sport. <laughs> Number five, the fifth and final of the Power Five. Uh, Just a follow-up on last week, we hit on this briefly, heading into uh, the lead one meeting of FBS athletic directors in D.C. Coming out of that meeting, there was a lot of talk about how they were going to be essentially asking for reform within the NCAA model, not talking about FBS governing itself or the playoff governing football, but really this idea that there's got to be a faster, more efficient uh, more logical way to get stuff done within the NCAA. And, you know, you and I talked about this. There's been a lot of different opinions about what is best and what positions football schools for success moving forward. It was really split. I mean, there were definitely some people who who thought that there could be something outside of the NCAA and keep all the other sports under it. And there were others saying, you know, this is something that's important to keep as is, and there really may not have been much of a benefit of, having to duplicate a lot of services services um, from a bureaucratic standpoint. I mean, you would still have to do eligibility and rules and governance and all these different things. Did it even solve the problems that people had? I, I think that it's an interesting question. Again, we have a piece coming on The Athletic in the next couple of weeks about all of this issue. But I do think that coming out of the college football playoff expansion process, knowing that there's going to be a 12-team playoff, knowing that... There's going to be six conference champions. It's, it's you know, going to include the so-called group of five leagues. I do think that there is a sense of relief and some sort of stability. I think stability may be the wrong word because there's not really any stability in this model right now in college sports. But there's something coming out of that of people tethered to each other that maybe you feel like you don't have to, you know, threaten to, to break away or pull out of the NCAA model. Yeah, I just want to note that you and I have been saying for 
well over a year now that a break away from the NCAA, a break away from the FBS, a Power Five doing their own thing, was a lot less likely than certain people made it seem. And the reason is because of the reasoning they gave last week, which is if you leave the NCAA, you basically got to create your own NCAA. And so what problems are you actually solving? And, you know, there were some reporting coming out of that meeting, and I've heard numbers, you've heard numbers of perhaps $60 million a year potentially to to do something like that. And that's a lot of money that that well, well the, in, and so, that includes you know like there's there's a lot that the NCAA is doing in terms of legal issues um, and handling yes. a lot of that enforcement all of those types of things um, you know again it sounds simpler than it is but this has been something you know I always like to ask people okay so then what's the first step <laughs> you know and and that's where it gets more challenging so again not saying it'll never happen but um, the fact that that has cooled for a minute is not terribly surprising, especially coming out of, you know, a 12-team college football playoff where kind of there is some certainty in an area that there wasn't over the last year. Um, before we get to happy hour, uh, I wanted to let you guys know about The Athletic's latest book, introducing the ultimate tribute to the Cincinnati Bengals, ascendant quarterback. The Athletic's latest book is Joe Burrow, The Rise of Joey Franchise. Provides a glimpse into the quarterback on and off the field. It features on-the-scenes and behind-the-scenes reporting from Burrow's championship season at LSU, his rise to stardom in the pros, and, of course, his magical 2022 postseason run. You can find out more information and purchase now at triumphbooks.com slash Joe Burrow. Uh, obviously, a lot of college football fans very familiar with Joe Burrow. Um, he was honestly one of the more likable players and entertaining players that we've covered in recent years. And that uh, cigar photo after LSU won the national championship, very versatile. I use that GIF constantly, still, years later. Uh, Chris knows that because you've seen me use it in group chats. Iconic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. (laughs) Let's go to happy hour. Uh, This is the part of the show where we pick something we are excited about and dive deeper into it. So, Chris, take it away. 
We're going to start with the good here, and that is Kansas. Pretty good in football. Kansas. 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 Really actually looks good in football. They are 3-0. They just beat Houston on the road by 18 points a week after they won at West Virginia, their first, uh, their second Big 12 win in a decade. Lance Leipold has turned this around very quickly. Quarterback Jalen Daniels completing 67% of his passes, seven touchdowns, one interception. They're playing 3-0 Duke this week. They should have gotten college game day. Mm-hmm. Much to everyone's dismay, they're going to Tennessee instead. But, Nicole, how about the Jayhawks? I love this story. I think that you know everyone is talking about Lance Leopold, and they should be, because some coaches are builders, and some are really good at the challenge of, okay, like we've made it to the mountaintop, we're going to repeat. But other coaches just have been places that either haven't won or have turned things around quickly and they've done it multiple places. And it's, it's an innate thing. I I forget which coach told me this once, but one of them said, you're either a builder or you're not. And Lance Leopold is totally a builder and he built up a power at at, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. He goes to Buffalo, turns things around real quick where they're competing for Mac championships. And now is at Kansas. And obviously they beat, they beat Texas. Like they had the scare with Oklahoma. Like we saw some signs last season about, but this wasn't the Kansas of years past. I do think what we're seeing now out of them, the way that they beat West Virginia and the way they came back and then throttled Houston, which is a good group of five team, it's totally different. Like, it just feels different watching this Kansas team. It does not feel fluky. It does not feel accidental. Um, it feels like it is supposed to. And confession, because I don't think I've acknowledged this publicly, but I have attended a Kansas football fundraising event in this calendar year. So Kansas was playing in the Sweet 16 in Chicago, and I wanted to introduce myself to Lance Leopold. I wanted to see their new athletic director, Travis Goff. And so they were like, hey, do you want to just swing by our, uh, we're doing an event. It turned out it was a football recruiting event, which is smart because they had a bunch of alumni in the area to go watch the basketball team. Yes, they and have Lance, those, and, believe and, it or not. Yeah, and, and Lance Leopold um, went to the game. Like, he was so super into the basketball and the basketball run, which obviously ended in national championship. But I was shocked to see this packed house at this bar in Chicago, and everyone was so excited about Lance Leopold. Like, he gave his little rousing speech, but, like, I talked to him and his wife for a while. He's bouncing around. I know that's how these events go. There's a lot of schmoozing. These are people who are donors. These are people who spend money to support their programs. But I got to tell you, like, there was a lot of excitement for, and again, I had never been to a Kansas football fundraising event before, um, but it was not what I expected. And I think that there have been a lot of people waiting for this program to be where it is right now to do this type of, uh, to, to really, I mean, they're fighting, they're playing hard. They have a quarterback who's who's good, not making mistakes. They just have the temperament and personality of their head coach. And I, what I love about a place like Kansas being good at football is, again, I, I know you, you're spoiled in basketball. You've had success in other sports. But there are people who are diehard football fans of the Jayhawks. Like, there are diehard football fans of all of these programs, the, the, the Rutgers, the Syracuse, the Dukes, the North Carolinas. 
And you're the butt of the joke for a long time. Your Kansas is the butt of the joke in so many in so many different ways for so many different years in college football. And I am just so happy that they have a team that they can watch that's going to win games like they have in the last couple weeks. That's awesome. I'm just so happy for those fans to get to experience that. There was the famous headline from Bill Connolly, now at ESPN, formerly at uh, SB Nation, who, when doing his Kansas preview, basically said the Kansas Jayhawks were going to get a lot of exercise and fresh air this season. <laughs> like, that was the level of expectation for Kansas football for so long. And I, one of my favorite stories that I've written at The Athletic was the viral image of a girl crocheting yes. during a Kansas game where she's the only person in the shot and it's a bunch of empty stands around her and she brought material to crochet something during a football game. And so, like, again, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming. Not saying they're going to win the Big, Te- Big 12 or anything, but I just think it's really cool for places that haven't had this type of success. And... The last time Kansas was legitimately good, it was a chaos season. Like, really good. 2007. Like, them being good is a harbinger of a chaos season, and I know you and I both support that. Yes. I, you know, on Thursday Night Football, the Chiefs-Chargers game, uh, Mahomes had to come out for a play, and um, Chase Daniel came in. Chase Daniel, still in the NFL, yes, believe it or not. And I couldn't help but think, Wait a minute, Chase Daniel playing at Arrowhead Stadium? I immediately flash back to that Kansas-Missouri game, 2007, number two versus number four. Again, a robbery we haven't had since 2011. But that Kansas team with with, with, with Todd Reesing, Mark Mangino, Aqib Tlaib, I think, was on that team. That was a fun Kansas team. And it's just like the fun of college sports is when unexpected teams rise up. You know, college football is not all about who makes the playoffs. It's not all about who wins the national championship. It's about fun stuff like this. It's about a Kansas team that a year ago invited anybody in town to come to the stadium when they were leading Oklahoma at halftime, only to eventually lose that game, uh, to have two wins over Texas that became memes. At this point, if Kansas beats Texas this year, even if Texas is good... It's not a meme anymore, and that's a real sign of progress for Kansas football when it's not when you when you're no, no longer the butt of the joke for losing to them. So, shout out to Kansas. Uh, Nicole, is there anything else about Kansas? There's one other team I wanted to mention. Two other teams actually wanted to talk about who are surprisingly three and zero. Yeah, well let's 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 do that. Let's go to yeah. let's stay in the basketball world um, and let's go to Syracuse because the Cuse Syracuse three and zero in a wild one. Um, this is the definition of, you know, some of these, sometimes games are won and sometimes games are lost. Purdue lost this game. Uh, the amount of penalty yardage in the final minutes was astounding, including a penalty on head coach Jeff Brom. They kick off from their own 10, and then Syracuse goes down the field, mostly due to penalty yardage and one crazy, crazy play. But Syracuse wins, and I think this is a legitimate good team. I mean, they have a quarterback. They've found something in Garrett Schrader. They had a good running back in Sean Tucker, and he's good again. Um, this is – I don't know how expected this is. I was going to say, like, this is very unexpected, but maybe you saw signs. I don't know. Maybe you thought that Syracuse was going to be better this year. I – you know, again, there were moments last year there was there were signs of progress, and Sean Tucker was one of the best running backs in the country, but I cannot say that I, I saw this – coming and they've already got a win in ACC play too. Sean Tucker also one of the best tweeters in college football. <laughs> yes. One of the 
strangest Twitter accounts I've seen, but I always enjoy it. Check that out uh, if, if you have not. But, yeah, Syracuse, they're 3-0. They opened with the big win over Louisville. Dino Babers came into the season maybe, maybe not on the hot seat, depending on who you ask. They're a private school, so the numbers aren't really known about a buyout. But what I was very curious about, one of the sneaky, most interesting, consequential assistant coaching moves was, so Bronco Mendenhall retires at the end of the season for Virginia. Virginia had one of the best offenses in the country last year, passing offenses with Brendan Armstrong. They were just explosive on that side of the ball. So Syracuse hired Robert and I, the former offense coordinator at Virginia, and Jason Beck, the quarterback's coach. And so you basically have brought over a lot of that offense to Syracuse, and the offense was not great against Purdue, but they've looked a lot more competent on that side of the ball than they have before. Garrett Trader, like you said, is having a very good season so far. And... Yeah, Syracuse also looks like a solid team, things we didn't expect. And, yeah, that, that the end of that game, two of the strangest images you'll ever see in, in, in football, almost back-to-back. You had Syrac- you, you had Purdue kicking off from their own 10-yard line, like you said, after after uh, taking the lead. And then Syracuse took the lead. A bunch of penalties later. They kick off from the Purdue 35-yard line, and they kick a field goal. Obviously, it doesn't count. Strangest two kickoffs you'll ever see back-to-back. The third and final team we want to highlight here in Happy Hour is a team that beat your alma mater this weekend in a game that the main conversation coming into it was, do you guys see that Washington is favored in this game? Even though Michigan State is number 11 team in the country and the, you know they're going on the road, but don't we feel pretty good about the Spartans? Instead, I mean, it was a lot of the same problems we've seen before with like their passing defense and, and issues that were there last year, but... Washington is in a good place right now. I think Michael Penix Jr. is one of the best stories in college football right now. This is someone who had had multiple injuries at Indiana. I think this is probably the first healthy offseason he's had as a college quarterback. And, you know, like you mentioned our friend Bill Connolly. He had something out earlier today that was like, you guys aren't imagining something. Like, this isn't just, like, what a healthy Michael Penix Jr. looks like. This is the best, the best he's ever been. Um, And I I think it's really awesome to see because this is one of those where you feel good about the transfer portal and about someone getting another chance and a change of scenery and different coaches and different pieces around him. But it has been awesome to see what he's doing. He received votes in the Athletics First Heisman straw poll, which, again, I don't know if anyone would have necessarily anticipated, but he was basically like a a first down per throw. Um, They looked great. The final score of that game misleading. I think, you know, Washington had it handily from very early on. And I think the sky, the ceiling, not the sky, the ceiling on this Washington team may be a lot higher than we thought heading into the season. Look, as Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof, you know. And, and by the way, Michael Penix Jr., he got a third-place vote from me in our very early, very early Heisman poll, as you said. He has another year of eligibility left, by the way. Does he he's really? Only li- he's only listed as a junior on the oh Washington bio. He spent four years at Indiana, dealt a lot of injuries. He had a COVID year. So he could come back for a sixth season next year, potentially. And, yeah, he, he, he goes to Washington where he reunites with Kalen DeBoer, 
his former offensive coordinator. And I think the nation finally is realizing that Kalen DeBoer is actually a very, very good head coach. He is now 82-9 and as a coach. Now that includes a 67-3 and record at NAIA Sioux Falls in the mid-2000s. But he went 12-6 and at Fresno in two years, did a really good job at Indiana as the offensive coordinator, good job at Fresno State as the offensive coordinator before he was the head coach. This was not a rebuild. You know, things collapsed spectacularly very quickly under Jimmy Lake. But this is a program that has been among the Pac-12's best before that. They went 4-1 in 2020. They have they recruit quite well. And so Kalen DeBoer kind of sneakily, you know, LSU hired a new coach. Oklahoma had a coach. Florida, Notre Dame, all these big schools hired coaches. We didn't really pay attention to Washington, who made a very, very strong hire, and I think we're seeing it already. And so they're 3-0 now. And take a look at their upcoming games here. Stanford, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona, Cal. That's It's not out of the picture to, to see an 8-0 start before they've got Oregon State, Oregon, Colorado, and Washington State, who is also 3-0. So very quickly, Washington jumps into the top 25, and in a few weeks we may be talking Pac-12, we may be talking playoff at some point we might be getting ahead of ourselves here but the what we've seen from washington very encouraging it is it is um and now we're going to flip things to uh the the more concerning and and maybe more negative part of the show it's time for on the rocks it's time to talk it out there is always some friction somewhere in this sport and we're here to help work through it this week's rocky relationships start in Tempe. We got to start and go a little bit deeper into Arizona State. Chris has a job profile up at The Athletic. Our colleague Doug Haller has a really, really thorough piece about the rise and fall and everything that went wrong with Herm Edwards at ASU. Let's start again at the beginning because when Herm Edwards was hired, he had not coached college football since the year we were born. And the way this was almost sold, 30, almost thirty. For those who don't know, that's almost we're not thirty now. But at the time, it was almost thirty years since he'd coached in college football. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like telling it, it's either like we're old or we're young, and either way, <laughs> you just like poo pooed whatever message I was sending by not specifically saying the year. Nineteen eighty nine was the last time he was on a college football staff. So he gets this job because Ray Anderson is the athletic director at at Arizona State, and he's his former agent. Um, and he decides that he wants to bring him in and he touts this new leadership model and that this is something that is innovative, um, more like a CEO type role. There was, uh, stipulations about keeping the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinators with the hire. I mean, it was just a very strange rollout and hire from day one. Yeah, it goes back before even hiring Herm because they paid $12 million to buy out Todd Graham at the time, who had had a pretty successful run as head coach, um, and then had said, hey, whoever the next coach is, they're going to have to keep the coordinators. One of those, Billy Napier, wanted the job, didn't get the job, was retained by Herm Edwards, but then took the head coaching job at Louisiana. The new leadership model, we all made jokes about it. Herm Edwards at his press conference has weird reactions to the school being named the Sun Devils. Um, and it was ultimately just kind of a strange fit. It was a lot of fancy jargon to say 
He's going to be the face of the program, and the assistants are going to kind of run things. And that becomes a problem in 2020 when you're recruiting and you hand basically everything over to Antonio Pierce, who led a lot of, uh, allegedly, led a lot of recruiting during the pandemic dead period when you weren't allowed to have anybody on campus. There's reported all kinds of details, very obvious violations based on a lot of reporting. And as we said before, Antonio Pierce is gone. Much of the staff is gone. The only one left was Herm Edwards. And on the field, he wasn't too bad. He went 26-20, and 20, didn't have a losing season, two eight-win seasons. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a disaster. But it was it, after the investigation, after the start of the season, it clearly was not going to hold for very long. And they ultimately made the decision. And again, I think the question about, you know, is Ray Anderson going to be the one making this hire is a very valid one. Ray Anderson's also the one who went out and basically said, we don't care about NIL. He basically said, we don't, like, need it. That this basically, isn't. Basically, yeah. That so this we, isn't, can't, we can't really compete in that, so we're going to focus on NFL development. development. Yeah, Devel- develop. NFL as, if, development. as if no one else is trying to develop their players from the NFL. Yeah. You can't That's do n- again, you could maybe personally think that, but you you can't say that. Um, this is yes. an arms race, and every single recruit and potential transfer wants to know what opportunities there are and what infrastructure is in place to help support the athletes to look around, to get deals. And again, our Doug Haller has written about that um, and efforts and, and collective efforts there as well. But there's just a lot that is not working in Tempe and should um, and, you know, I mean, they've got great facilities where they play, the cell of the school. They should be better. And so it's going to be very interesting to see, again, who makes the hire and what direction they go. But this wasn't the only job that our Spidey Sense was tingling about on Sunday because there were multiple other places that we thought maybe were poised for a September uh mid-season firing super early so Chris walk us through the others that we thought you know could possibly have popped on Sunday Georgia Tech is uh, has had another rough start under Jeff Collins they lost 42 nothing to Ole Miss on Saturday and it feels like it's a matter of time at this point um, that it, it just they hired him to recruit well to get them out of the triple option into a modern type of system, and it just has just completely has not worked. They haven't won more than three games in a season. Their schedule, even the rest of this year, is very, very difficult. He's 10-27 and 27 overall. Georgia Tech, spot to definitely keep an eye on. Auburn, another one of those that came into the season very much on the hot seat, considering some people tried to fire him during the offseason, <laughs> and he survived that. Uh, his athletic director, Alan Green, has left doesn't have an AD at the moment. They just lost 41-12 to Penn State. They got pushed around. They have Missouri uh, next, but then they got LSU, who looks better than we thought, then Georgia, then Ole Miss, and then a bye week. The second half of that schedule, absolutely brutal. The Penn State game felt like it was going to be the barometer of where things are, and things are not in a good spot. So Auburn, keep an eye on Auburn. Colorado. What appears to be, I think we can all maybe agree, the worst Power 5 team. Just kind of very quickly. 49-7 lost to Minnesota. A lot of their best players transferred out in the offseason. And things are very, very bleak there. The athletic director, Rick George, instead put out a statement to basically ask for support for the program. Um, A firing is not happening yet. 
Uh, I've been told that they do have the money to buy him out. That's not an issue. The buyout is about $8.7 million, subject to a little bit of an offset if he gets another job. And these things are usually paid out over a period of time. It's not $8.7 million up front. But the question is, if you fire him, how much can you invest in the next coach? That's the question. They had Mel Tucker. They couldn't afford to keep him. Michigan State basically doubled his salary and doubled the assistant pool, and that's how they were able to, to, to get him. So what is Colorado football? Where do they go? We don't know. But he's 8-13 and 13 overall. They are among the worst teams, honestly, in all of college football this year. It's pretty bleak. And uh, he got the he, – he, he, he has his job for now, but – Apathy is going to set in very quickly for Colorado fans, and that's that is not what you want. Another situation that I think is it's not as rocky as these, obviously, but things are definitely uncomfortable with Northwestern. I mean, like that that's a really losing to Southern Illinois the way that they did, the way that they lost to Duke. Um, it's just it's, it's just not great. It's just not in a great place. And obviously, you've got fat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald. He's been there for a very, very long time. Um, and he's very, you know, he, he's got a specific way he wants to do things. Things have been trending down since they lost his, his longtime defensive coordinator. Um, you know, he's, he's replaced on that side. Ryan Helinski looked really good against Nebraska, which, as it turns out, every quarterback has looked really good against Nebraska. Yes. But I did think that they were going to be okay offensively, um, and Helensky did not play well. And, like, I just I don't know what the answer is at Northwestern to fix things because they're just – it is a unique place. You've had this head coach for a long time who is just very set in his ways. Like, he's not going to – you're not going to force him to change things. You're not going to force him to change things in the way that you might – a head coach somewhere else. So I, I don't know. I mean, Chris, I'm sure I'm curious your read on just Northwestern. Like to me, it's just an uncomfortable situation where like the fans are frustrated with, with the, the performances they've seen, especially defensively the last year and a half, but it's like, well, what, what can change? What realistically could change there? We thought, Hey, even year Northwestern has typically been pretty good. They went not, they won the big 10 West in 2018. They won the big 10 West in 2020 and they were, three and nine in 2019, 2021. So even year, it seemed like a potential bounce back year. It has not happened. And look, they have tried to change things to, to, to Patrick Schultz credit. They're running almost 89 plays a game right now. That is, I think tops in the country. Northwestern up tempo offense is not something you typically think about. So they have tried other things. The problem is if you're going up tempo and you're not picking up first downs, you're just doing very, very quick three and outs. So, a loss to Southern Illinois and FCS team, not good. Uh, being down big at home to Duke before trying to make the comeback and falling short, uh, not good. Big Ten West might be a bit tougher than we thought. Illinois looks decent. Indiana's 3-0. and Minnesota looks good. Wisconsin's Wisconsin. Nebraska, they already beat. So it's like, look, Pat Fitzgerald's not getting fired, but what we thought might be a bounce back type of year for Northwestern is, is not happening. And in general, as we think about, you know, if the big 10 were to go away from divisions, that job becomes harder. Success becomes yes, harder, very. Um, because they've been able to, to win the West uh, quickly. I know you wanted to make a quick note about just the group of five at large, and then let's dive into the state of the PAC 12. Yes. Uh, real quick. It's a down year for the group of five. 
it's the second week in a row no group of five teams are ranked. And that's because most of them have lost. Cincinnati lost, Houston lost, Boise State, San Diego State, Utah State, Fresno State, Appalachian State, Marshall. They've all got losses. And so it's not the year everybody expected maybe from the group of five. That is going to make the New Year's Six spot battle a lot more interesting, though. But we're down to only three undefeated group of five teams. Tulane, shout out Tulane for beating Kansas State. Coastal Carolina, who has looked shaky, and James Madison, who is actually only 2-0. So, down year for the group of five. Also, James Madison, first year at FBS. So, yes. shout out to them. Um, so, yeah, that is something to monitor. And, um, you know, Chris, uh, I know you were looking into this earlier, but there is like there, there will be a group of five team in the New Year's Six Bowl. We just may not have a sense of it until after championship weekend, right? If they do not have group of five teams ranked in these polls once they get going? Yes, I looked into this, actually, because you know the highest-ranked group of five champion gets a spot in the New Year's Six. What if none of them are ranked? The committee only ranks 25 teams. So I checked in, and if there is not a group of five team ranked, they will take the five group of five champs and rank them, and the top one of them is the one that would get the spot. So something to keep in mind that we have not yet had in the playoff era. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, let's let's get into our, our Pac-12 conversation. Um, again, we're putting this in the On the Rock segment because, I mean, it, we've, we've all been wondering, we've all been curious, we've all been, you know, concerned or, or questioning what is the future for the Pac-12? What does it look like? And, um, you know, does it stay together? What does the membership look like? Do they add? Do they contract? Do they lose teams to the Big Ten, to the Big 12? And George Klafkoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, has heard all of that. He has been pretty pretty silent here since Pac-12 media days. He goes on John Wilner and John Canzano's podcast. They cover the Pac-12 more than anybody else. And he made a couple of very interesting comments that um, I want to recap. So all of this, this all came out on Tuesday. Uh, first interesting comment he made was, quote, listen, I think if schools would have left for the Big Ten, they would have left already. Interesting comment just about the Big Ten's willingness or interest in adding uh, further beyond USC, UCLA. He was asked if he still guarantees that none of his schools will join the Big 12. And he said, yes, that is still the case. He talked a little bit about kind of the state of negotiations into meteorites contracts. Um, I think, you know, we saw some other reporting elsewhere um, throughout the day on Tuesday about Amazon and the idea of streaming partners. Klyovkov said at Pac-12 Media Days that he expected the streaming partner in whatever the the Pac-12 comes out of this. I mean, part of what they're running into here is that Fox is not expected to be that interested in Pac-12 rights. They obviously are really in with the Big Ten, and the LA schools have just left. So if you're thinking about this logically, it's like, okay, ESPN definitely is interested in that late night window. 
you know, ESPN's had this relationship with the Pac-12, but how do you try to drive up the price? How do you try to create competition? And that is looking at other partners. And we know Amazon has been interested in different leagues' rights, including, you know, they talked to the Big Ten. We know that Amazon is really going all in on this Thursday Night Football, which we we both watched their first game to just get a sense of it. And, and I think a lot of people are watching to see the impact of that game, viewership, how this all works, because people have been dipping their toe into streaming, but not going full fully all the way in. And so I, I was not surprised to hear George Klafkoff talk about that. Um, he also seemed pretty confident that he will be able to get the 10 current members to sign a grant of rights, like to, to really like tether each other to each other um, and stabilize things. So I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on the Amazon and the streaming piece. But first of all, uh, did anything that he said jump out to you as, as a surprise? Uh, one thing that I don't think I had really thought about, but he said CFP expansion makes the regular season more valuable for conferences. So like, that's a pretty big, that that'll help the PAC 12 because more regular season games will matter. So, well, and, and I think too, because you, by knowing it's the six highest ranked conference champions, I think, you know, you can safely assume the PAC 12 is going to almost always have one. Right. So, yes. so maybe that also helps. He he did also mention that the Big Ten's deal helps because it shows the value of live live sporting events, like college yeah. football games. Like the, the there was a lot of money paid to broadcast those games. The, yeah, the case is look, the Big Ten just got so much money. There is not a bubble here. People have long thought there was a live sports bubble. That has not proven to be the case. Those things keep going higher and higher and higher. His comment saying. If schools would have left for the Big Ten, they would have left already. A lot of people are, jumped on that for some reason. I think he just kind of said it not quite the way he, he meant it, which was if those schools could go to the Big Ten, they would already go to the Big Ten. And that is something you and I have said for a while here is that the Big Ten has already considered Oregon and Washington and Stanford and Cal and whoever, and they clearly made the decision at this point not to do it. The, the AD at Iowa said, if we're going to get less money by adding more schools, we don't want to do that. So, like, Kevin Warren can want to do things, but he's got to get the presidents to want to do it, too. So that's what that's what Klaifoff meant, is that they don't have an invitation to the Big Ten right now. Right. And I think the other way that I think about that that goes hand-in-hand hand with that is people have acted like they were waiting for the Big Ten to respond to the Big Ten's own move of adding USC and UCLA. And the Big Ten was the one who did this. There was a period of relative calm. If they wanted to go and add six West Coast schools and the money worked and the math worked, they would have done that. Yes. Um, and so, again, I think you have a lot of me- a lot of people in the Big Ten that, you know, are, are, they're only going to be interested in this if they're, they're not going to take a pay cut to do it. And so that's where you are. That affects, you know, the willingness to add and, and extend offers. And I think, again, you know, there, there's probably ripple effects of the playoff expanding to 12 and the certainty tied to that that will end up affecting conference realignment moves and non-moves. Um, another thing that he said that was interesting, um, and again, this was George Klyovkov talking uh, to John Canzano and John Wilner on their new podcast, he said that they he continued to make the case that UCLA should stay in the Pac-12 and that the efforts with the UC Board of Regents, um, you know, the Cal impact, all of these different things, that they could block the move for UCLA to move to the Big Ten. 
and that the Pac-12 is going into its meetings with media partners, potential media partners, with a scenario where UCLA is not in the Pac-12 and with a scenario where UCLA is in the Pac-12. That was pretty interesting. Yes. I'm kind of surprised he said that publicly. Like, there is almost, there is no way UCLA is not going to the Big Ten. Like, like it's just, it's going to happen. The, and the, he, way, the way that it was described to me was like, maybe that's a, a remote possibility, but it was more, it's more likely that this whole process just makes life more difficult for UCLA going to the Big Ten. Yeah. Like, that they may have to do something with the revenue that they bring in from the Big Ten and split some of it with Cal or whatever it might end up being, but not that they would block it. That was always the right. assumption from people I've talked to. It feels like you're just setting up false hope that that it, it could i just it, it seems like a, a waste of, of time but look he's gonna keep he's, he's gonna say it then hey then it gives us something to talk about so that's good um the the, the point about expansion college will play of expansion like you said though is there's less of a reason to go from the pac-12 to the big 12 now because the pac-12 is probably going to have a spot in there and in Klavikov said, like, if you want to path to the national championship, the Pac-12 now is as good of a place you can to do it. You know, if, if you're a Washington sticking in the Pac-12 or, or something like that. So that's the case he's making to 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 help schools stay. Whether or not they can get that grant of rights is, is a huge, uh, is a huge, huge uh, deal with that. And it's all important because... Like, you know, everyone's just trying to figure out what this whole enterprise is going to look like. What it, what, what is the best way to position yourself? Um, you know, this is a national sport and this is the West Coast Conference like that they need and has valuable inventory. And that's part of the reason like the conversations have been about does the Big Ten want to add a Western wing and, and have that 1030 time slot like they already have all of that. ESPN is coming out of negotiations with the Big Ten where they're not partnered with them and they essentially have more money because they did not do Big Ten. Again, I think everyone expected that they would do. You do have an expanded playoff and those rights coming up at some point here once once they take it to market. Um, so you're going to have different players involved. I mean, the fact that like NBC got Big Ten rights and is going to be investing more in college football coverage, like that all is good. It's good for the sport. But the Pac-12 is an interesting place with all of that because, you know, you can't just have ESPN negotiating against itself. And so, again, I yes. think we saw some reports about Amazon. I don't think any of that is surprising. Amazon and Apple were interested in the Big Ten. They've been interested in live sports rights. Um, just be very curious where it goes, especially coming out of a conference that really struggled with their conference networks not having visibility, not being able easy to watch. Yeah, Klavkov made that point, too, is that the Pac-12 networks broadcast more content than any other conference network, is what he said. So there is a lot of inventory there to use. And he also said, hey, we've owned the Pac-12 network. Even if even if you know the, the, the TV rights that we got before are going down, we're going to get money for the Pac-12 network that we weren't getting before. So that is a, 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 a selling point in terms of keeping the conference afloat, bringing in revenue, and all those kinds of different things. And I, this ESPN-Amazon thing is very... It feels like there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, selective leaking of various things to try to get stuff out there. Because a week or so ago, the New York Post reports that ESPN and the Pac-12 are hundreds of millions of dollars away from each other in terms of making an agreement. Simultaneously, 
there are reports about how the Pac-12 is very interested in Amazon and, and everything that it can do there. And Amazon wants to get into college football and, and do all these different things. So like you said, you can't have ESPN negotiate against itself. You have to have some other interest, some other interest to, to create offers. I just got to say, moving the majority of Pac-12 football to Amazon would be a disaster. It just would be because everything else is going to be on TV. People are not going to go out of their ways to pull up prime video to watch Pac-12 football. You just won't have the visibility. That's part of the reason that the Big Ten chose Peacock because they've got soccer, they do baseball, they do a lot of sports. It's within the NBC family as opposed to putting some of it on Apple, putting it on, on, on something else. So streaming may be the future of all of this, but it's still quite a ways away from being the full future. We're in this middle ground here where there's going to be a lot of both. The NFL has at least a decade ahead of itself on linear television. Sports and specifically football are keeping television alive and will continue for the foreseeable future. So throwing every all of your stuff onto a streaming service is, is very much a risk. And it's not like your MLS where you, you're trying to find viewers somewhere. You're Pac-12 football. Everybody knows who you are. And so I think ultimately ESPN and Pac-12 probably come to some sort of agreement because who else is it going to be really? But there is going to be a streaming part of that for sure. And that's where stuff like Amazon comes in. Yeah, and again, just to, to put a ball on this from my perspective, I mean, I, I think what we saw with the Big Ten leaning really heavily into national over-the-air linear networks um, was really interesting because so many people have been waiting for streaming, right, and have said this is the future, it's coming, it's coming. And what they did was they said, like, we're just going to go after the biggest and easiest audiences. Like, the e- we're going to make our games the easiest possible way to find them, and we're going to go after big numbers and big viewership numbers, and they're going to get that. So it would be really fascinating if someone went in the other direction. Um, and again, we, you know, another thing out of this was now that you know, obviously, fans and 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 fans of individual teams and people concerned again about like sort of the future of the Pac-12. Like people are paying attention to these media rights negotiations. George Klyovkov didn't seem to sense major urgency. It didn't sound like he felt like he had to nail this down in X amount of days or weeks. So this could stretch out for a little bit. It was just very interesting to hear from him. We have not heard from him in a while. And uh, that was definitely notable. But uh, now it's time for the last call. This is the part of the show where we cheers to something we're excited about. We rant about something we're not so excited about. Whatever we might be doing as the bar is closing and we've got you know, our final round of drinks, uh, we will we will do that now at this part of the show. Chris, I will let you go start. I think you have two two last calls you want to go with today. Yeah, we we've coincidentally just had a lot of Appalachian State in the sec in the segment, and we will once again. App State won on a hail mary. We all saw that amazing play, but I didn't when when I saw it live. The camera cuts to Chase Bryce, and you just see him kind of walking toward the stands among the students and you're thinking oh he's looking for his mom he's looking for his girlfriend his dad or or something like that whatever that's kind of cool well then a video comes out sunday no chase bryce walked over to the student section to help people down because it was a bit of a high jump that they had to make to get down he was helping as many people as he could to get down uh there were reported uh, a number of injuries so chase bryce i think prevented a number of those so a huge cheers to app state quarterback chase bryce for helping fans safely as safely as possible storm the field but also 
I don't remember what the opposite of cheers is on this segment, but whatever it is, we're giving that to ESPN for instead of having this game on television, they were playing a highlight show. For some reason in that window on the main ESPN channel, there wasn't a game. It was the college football scoreboard highlight show. Very, very strange. Instead of just flexing over the App State Troy game, that you already had college game day there, but the game was only on ESPN Plus. And then we get a Hail Mary and a crazy finish, and only you could only see it if you had ESPN Plus. Very strange decision, so a thumbs down. I don't know what it, whatever the, the opposite of cheers is in this segment, but I'm I don't know. Should we, should, should we, like, is it like throwing a drink at someone, maybe? Should that be pour, the. Pour, pouring a drink, some? Yeah, pour a drink pouring on it someone. out. Pouring it out. Well, I don't no, know. It's not, it's, no, it's that would be a positive. Just like um, pour a drink over over somebody. No, it's throwing a drink at someone. Like pretend we're in like a in, yeah, like a like a yeah, throw a drink Bravo, face, like yeah. some Bravo show. They would just throw yeah. the drink at someone's face. Um, okay, well, mine is a happy one. Mine is a cheers. Um, I'm gonna read you the following stats, the following records: Kansas three and Kentucky three and North Carolina three and Duke three and Syracuse three and UCLA. 3-0, and Indiana, 3-0. These are football records. These are seven of the winningest programs in college basketball history. These are the Blue Bloods in college basketball. They are all off to undefeated starts. It is remarkable because some of the, like Indiana, it was by like the by the skin of their teeth that they are undefeated still. Then again, we talked about Kansas and like how dominant they were in the second half of that game against Houston. You know, Duke is is he's off to a great, great start under Mike Elko as a head coach. Um, some of these teams had to buy, so they were already at three and zero. Kentucky is is good. They're really tough. They're really physical. You know, they they've clearly established themselves as the type of program Mark Stoops wants them to be in the SEC East. They're going to be a factor. They can beat Florida on a regular basis now, which is just massive. Um, so so it's just really cool to have something like this happening in college football because we spent what like two weeks debating basketball school football school stuff we were talking actually about kentucky right and about john calipari's comments recently it's really hard to be good at both it's really hard to be really 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 good at both um the history the resources at some of these schools like it's not it's not even um the investment from a fan perspective facilities some of this stuff is just not even and it's really cool that all of these schools seven of the 10 most winningest programs in college basketball that all of them have undefeated football programs right now and yes game day should have been at duke at kansas come on yes come on they hadn't been to kansas yet you we, we saw the reaction of the app state appearance like that yeah. it, it just it hits different when they're at a new place Really wish they would have gone to Kansas. Would have gotten a great crowd. Well, maybe maybe Kansas will just continue to be undefeated here and go on and win the Big Twelve, and they'll have plenty of opportunities to to decide to go to Lawrence. We'll see. Yes. But also, also anybody listening, if you have an idea for the negative of the cheers for that this final section, if you have any good tips, tweet at us. Let us know. We are open to suggestions. We are. We are. But that will do this. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. Um, this has been a blast. For Chris Manini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. We'll be back next Wednesday. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe to the Andy Staples and Friends feed. We will see you soon.